How's it going, Yankee fans? Welcome back to Fireside Yankees with your boys, Alex and Ryan. So today we're talking about three breakout players for the Yankees in 2024. Guys we think could really, you know, emerge and become impact players more so than last year we saw flashes you know just you know flashes the pan we saw some really good performances but it was inconsistent last season um you know another guy there's some honorable mentions we'll throw into the mix as well as guys who maybe don't have as much experience but we could see them also breaking out maybe you know aren't breakout candidates because they are good players but maybe have another level they can reach um i think with spring training coming around in a couple days here it's gonna be exciting there's a lot of guys on this yankee team that could really make an impact in 2024 guys that could help us win a World Series if they really reach their potential and, you know, kind of mitigate some of their liabilities and weaknesses. Um, so I'm excited to discuss these guys. We'll start with Anthony Volpe, Ryan, uh, talking about second-year player, 22 years old, set a franchise record with 15 defensive runs saved as a rookie, won a gold glove as a rookie. Offensively, there's a lot to solve. There's a lot of upside there. He obviously got his feet wet in the MLB. You know, batting average could stand to improve by, you know, Two, three, four percent, um, and I think that would go a long way towards supporting his long-term uh, contributions on this team. Also, we saw a power stroke last year: twenty-one home runs, fourteen-point-two uh, degree launch angle, pretty solid hard hit rate, nine percent barrel rate. Strikeout rate comes down, batting average goes up, on-base percentage will go up because of it. You could see a really solid, well-rounded player in 2024 and a guy that obviously is working hard to correct some of those issues and build on his strengths. So, you know, what are you thinking about Anthony Volpe going into spring training and how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. And as you alluded to with Anthony Volpe, he is a very young player. Um, there are a lot of initial concerns from last year that stemmed from a lack of a hit tool, a lack of contact skills that were supposed to be there. Um, I think part of it is a lack of upper-level minor league reps. He only spent a year in AA, and he barely played in AAA, making a lot of his adjustments on the fly last season. But his excellent defense and base running will float his value a ton. He'll be around a 1-2 to two war player, even if he doesn't take steps forward offensively. And if he does take steps forward offensively, then he becomes a 3-4 to four war player. And I know that people don't like hearing war. They like just seeing the gaudy offensive numbers. But here's the reality of it. Shortstops aren't going to hit as much as your corner outfielders. That's just the way the game works. They have to have uh, physical builds that are more tailored to their defensive skills than just, all right, how hard can I hit the ball? And just focusing on offense all the time. Because defense at shortstop matters a ton. And it was a big reason why he was so successful for this team. And that's a big reason why the Yankees love him so much. His glove is really, really a lot better than people gave him credit for. Better than I gave him credit for. Um, the base running has uh, always been really good. And that's something I imagine will only get better um, as he's allowed to run more. And also as he gets on base more. I think part of the reason why the stolen base totals weren't great were because of the fact that he just didn't get on base a lot. He had a sub-300 OBP. Um, you know, I, I talked a little bit about James Rosen and kind of the connection I think he and a Volpe could have because I think Rosen's a great guy for a younger clubhouse um, but I also think it's just a matter of being consistent and you know adjusting to major league pitching and having an environment that's more suitable for your development if he goes out next year and he puts up a 100 WRC plus are we going to sit here and call him a superstar no but is he going to be a pretty good shortstop absolutely and pretty good at shortstop is better than what we've had in years past and getting a pretty good player out of your 30th pick in the first round is a great outcome people don't understand this the average 30th overall pick in the major league draft ends up being like a two not two or three war player annually a two to three war player in their entire careers a lot of these players don't become great ball players or don't become major leaguers in in general it's hard to convert these late first round picks into quality major league players and anytime you do so it's a win i know that that grading scale kind of it messes with people's heads but 
Even if we're looking at prospects, you might say, well, Volpe was a 30th overall pick, but he became a top 15 prospect. He was around a 60 to 60 uh, future value prospect. That's around a three-win player, right? So they project him to be a three-win player, not a superstar, a three-win player, right? If you believed in yourself that Anthony Volpe was going to become this superstar caliber player and win multiple MVPs, that's on you, right? Like, that's not his fault. That's not the Yankees' fault. That's not these prospect evaluation. That's not their fault. It's your fault, right? I, I don't mean to mean like, uh, hey, you can't blame, you can't expect more from uh, Volpe um, because you set too high of expectations, but rather let's understand what being a good prospect means. Let's understand what being a first round pick means. Let's contextualize these things, understand what makes for a successful prospect or not, and then go based off of that. If Volpe is a three to four win player, I'm very happy with his career. And I think he's certainly capable of doing that by just being an average major league hitter. Because again, the glove and the speed are so good and so tantalizing. Yeah, I mean, look, we, in a perfect world, Anthony Volpe would develop into our leadoff hitter. Why? He gets on base, you know, if he can get on base at a high enough clip. Once he's on base with Soto and Judge Bottom, imagine, like, if you're an opposing pitcher, and you guys probably saw this last year, if you're an opposing pitcher, and in the corner of your peripherals, you see Anthony Volpe dancing at first base. Or in the, in the corner of your eye, you see him right behind you dancing at second base. He's looking to move. He's looking to make a move, trying to steal a bag. You are not on your game. We saw him distract pitchers routinely last season. If you have to deal with Judge and Soto, and you have Volpe dancing around on first, that's probably why, by the way, um, Ryan, that you have Volpe batting number nine in the lineup because you still get that benefit. If he gets on base, you have uh, Soto and Judge right around the bend. It's kind of like the best way to protect your leadoff spot from being a liability, but also get the benefits of Anthony Volpe's base running um, because you get him on base when he can get on base. You know, we hope that's a, a higher clip this upcoming season. And then he's going to be dancing. Pitchers are going to be thrown off their game. They're going to be out of rhythm, and they're going to make a bad pitch to Soto and Judge. You want to know what happens when you throw a bad pitch to Soto and Judge? Ends up in the fucking bleachers. So, like, that's – and apologies for my language because that's what, that's what freaking happens, man. You're at a Yankee game on Friday night, and you see what, what bad pitch Anthony Volpe dancing off first base. That thing is in the third deck. That's what happens when you, you know, have a guy like that can distract pitchers. So there are intrinsic value to base runners that have that type of quality, have that type of skill set. Um, and ultimately – when you're looking at Volpe's upside, it's, it doesn't end there. It, it just starts there. That's where he made his impact last year as a base runner, as a defensive asset. Um, but think about him with a better eye, you know, making more quality contact. His launch angle was fine. He hit 21 homers. If he can boost his, his batting average around two, 240 to 260, he's going to be a fine, like league average, right? You know, with hitting 25-plus home runs, his WRC plus will be over 100 at that point. If he gets on base at, let's say, a 33 to 34% clip, he's going to be a very good MLB player. And, you know, that's him at 22 years old, 20, almost 23 years old. Imagine him with a couple years of experience, getting better. His, you know, his eye improves. He understands pitchers. He's seen these pitchers before, right? He only has one season under his belt. He's seen some of these pitchers a couple times. AL East, there's a couple new arms in there, obviously. You got Corbin Burns to worry about in Baltimore now. Um, so you're going to have to kind of maneuver around some good talent. But hey, you know, Volpe has to go up against Garrett Cole in practice, Carlos Rodon in practice. He has no, there's no lack of talent in the Yankees rotation. They're going to, he's going to get tested very, very frequently. Um, and obviously in spring training as well as we ramp up here. But um, I think you and I can both agree. Anthony Volpe's upside, his breakout potential, it's, it's tangible. It's legit. He could have a big year and it would be impactful as a number nine hitter um, because that just indicates everyone ahead, ahead of him has um, even more proven upside or even more proven uh, pr production, whether it be Riz 
Rizzo or Glaber um, or Verdugo even is a better hitter at this point in time. So that's another guy I want to talk about, Alex Verdugo. Now, Alex Verdugo had a 98 WRC plus last year, guys. What that means, 2% worse than the average. Average is 100. Um, traditionally speaking, Alex Verdugo has been an above average, slightly above average hitter throughout his MLB career. Um, and in the in Yankee Stadium with a short right porch, theoretically speaking, you're going to get more home runs out of him. You're going to get some more run production. Um, he's a high batting average guy relative to the to the average. He gets on base at a decent clip. He's a good lefty hitter, and he's a fine defensive player. Why do you think he could maximize his talent this upcoming season? Why do you think he could theoretically break out? Um, and what do you think a breakout looks like for Verdugo at this point in his career? Yeah, so Alex Verdugo is a very unique player in the sense that you know, he's coming over from Boston. You rarely see players get traded to Boston. You've seen guys kind of, you know, traded from Boston to the Yankees. You, you've seen, like, guys sign there. I mean, the last trip he made with them was a trade with Adam Ottavino, but it sent him to Boston, right? And it was, you know, the, the Yankees saying, we don't want this contract. We're just going to send you off to the Boston Red Sox and use that money elsewhere. The Red Sox were like, hey, Verdugo, we don't want you on our team. And it's not because you're expensive. It's because there were legitimate clubhouse concerns. He showed up late to a game. He wasn't hustling. Cora and him had a very public feud. How I mean, Verdugo took a shot at Cora, basically, in that presser. He was talking about how supportive Boone was, and it's finally nice to play uh, with a guy that has your back, kind of alluding that Cora didn't. Now, I'm not saying that Verdugo is right or wrong. Uh, personally, I'm going to just say this right now. I don't think it's a great look, uh, especially considering that, you know, you, you know the maturity issues have been there, but we'll wait and see. Uh, but being in a more supportive clubhouse might benefit him, right? Being in a clubhouse where, you know, James Rosen's a very supportive guy. He's going to be saying, you know, hey, man, you got this. You're great. You know, you're a great player. Go be a great player. Stuff of that nature. Boone has always been very vocal, vocally supportive of his players and has defended them time after time. Um, but when it comes to the baseball stuff, when it comes to, you know, the statistical, what does he need to get better at? In zone aggression, man, he is way too passive of a hitter. People conflate passive with good in terms of plate discipline. Passive doesn't mean good. It just means passive. Just like aggressive doesn't mean bad. It just means aggressive. If you look at uh, various uh, plate uh, discipline metrics, Seager is a metric d developed by Baseball Prospectus by Robert Orr. Um, it values, uh, you know, whether you swing at good pitches to hit. Uh, whether you lay off of bad pitches, you know, it doesn't just say, oh, you don't swing a lot. That's great because you're taking a lot of uh, pitches and you're seeing the play and whatever. It's also saying, hey, you should be rewarded for swinging at good pitches and you should be dinged for letting meatballs get by you. He ranked in the tw 237th out of 250 hitters in zone swing percentage. He was 236th in hittable pitches taken. That can't fly. I'm sorry. If, if you're getting hittable pitches and you're taking them often, you're not going to do damage. And it showed in his power. His power numbers have, numbers have been consistently not great. His called strike percentage is 12. He's seeing a lot of called strikes. Pitchers are know they can get him to be passive. They can get him in two strike counts. It puts him at a disadvantage. Yes, he makes a ton of contact. And that means that he's not going to strike out a ton. But it also means he's going to put himself in a lot of two strike counts and put himself at a disadvantage. The difference between an 0-1 count and an 0-0 count is dramatic. Swinging at an 0-0 pitch results in a 394 Woba. That's well above the league average. That's elite production. You know, that's right around where a guy like Juan Soto was last year. So if you swing at the first pitch, you're hitting at a clip where Juan Soto's sitting at. That's pretty good. So if you ever do go, you've got to swing more in zone. The power is going to play better at Yankee Stadium. I'm not saying he has to be an aggressive hitter, but he just has to be better than a bottom percentile aggressor at the plate. I think the defense will play well in left field. He doesn't have to be a great player. He does not have to be a great player for this to work. 
Left field was atrocious for the Yankees last year. God awful. Rafael Ortega was the guy we were talking about in spring training. God, I mean, Jerks of Profile just signed. This time last year, we were doing our 15th episode on whether the Yankees should sign him or not. It was awful. It was an awful stretch of left field. Aaron Hicks, as well as Cabrera, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa. I mean, it was a true disaster out there. If Verdugo could just be solid enough, he's going to help this team a lot. He's left-handed. He brings contact. He has those skills that the Yankees desperately need. I'm aiming for around a 110 WRC plus with a couple of more home runs at Yankee Stadium. I think that'd be a really nice season, and I'd certainly take that from the left field position, especially considering what you have with Judge and Soto in the middle of that lineup. Absolutely. I mean, look, this outfield is going to be significantly better than it was last season, objectively. Um, But let's take a look at another player here that could have a good year. We're going to talk about Clark Schmidt. Um, We haven't talked about Clark Schmidt in a while. We've been talking about Blake Snell, Corbin Burns, Dylan Cease, you know, you name it, Shane Bieber. We've been talking about additions. Um, But what is the upside of Clark Schmidt? I think that's something that is a pretty reasonable conversation to have because, guys, Clark Schmidt, and and I know a lot of people are going to say he was terrible last year. And I'll say this. He certainly wasn't consistent. He was very inconsistent. However, it's important to note two things. Clark Schmidt's mentor, and Ryan, you might know this, Clark Schmidt's mentor is Garrett Cole. And Clark Schmidt, his last year, was his first year ever pitching as a starting rotation guy, ever. He had 57.2 innings in 2022, guys, as a bullpen arm. He made three starts. Last year, he made 32 starts, over 159 innings. So I think it's fair. I think it's I think it's totally fair to say Clark Schmidt could get a lot better this upcoming season, right? He had a 4.64 ERA, 8.43 strikeouts per nine, 70.2% left on base rate, a 43.8% ground ball percentage, not bad. Walked 2.6 batters per nine, not bad. He could stand to kind of reduce the, the home runs per nine, 1.36. Had a 13.1% HR uh, to FB ratio. But that number in 2022, guys, was significantly lower. He only gave up, he gave up less than 0.8 home runs per nine in 2022. Obviously a smaller sample size, but you get the point. Um, Clark Schmidt has a very nice pitch mix. He has a very nice array of pitches he can utilize. And we talked about some the other day in terms of like, remember uh, Pedro Martinez, what happened, uh, what Pedro Martinez did, and he actually just came out, he wanted to be a Yankee. They didn't want to send him to the Yankees because they had a, you know, a, I guess a feud with the Steinbrenners. But, you know, Pedro Martinez had three elite pitches, and he would use each one this, each time he went through the, the batting order uh, again, right? So every pitch, he would utilize it more prominently, and he would create that deviation where opposing hitters could not use it. Clark Schmidt needs to get better at not using all of his pitches at once because I feel like, uh, batters are seeing his pitches, starting to see how it's coming out of his hand, you know, what kind of break it has. It's a little bit erratic at times. His location is, is sometimes a little bit inconsistent, or a lot of times. If he can utilize those pitches and use them in a way that has more strategy behind it and not just, you know, throw everything at once, he's going to get better at baiting uh, baiting hitters, you know, setting up pitches for later on in an at-bat, setting up pitches for later on in the game. Instead, batters are coming up the second time around and having seen every single one of his pitches. Um, so I feel as though they could do a better job of strategizing how they use him. And at the same time, having gone through a full season, the trials and tribulations of being a first-year starter, pitching, he's never pitched 159 innings ever in his career. So, like, that was the first time ever. Um, pitching in the Bronx, pitching in high-leverage moments – you know, he struggled to get past the fifth inning. And, and Ryan, this is something we have discussed a hundred times. Clark Schmidt struggles to get past the fifth inning. He struggles to go through a lineup the third time around. Um, and that really comes down to the strategy they utilize and the quality of his pitches. Obviously, some are better than others. Where do you see him improving this year? I think having a full year of work under his belt, working this offseason, and by the way, 
he was one of the few guys that actually stayed healthy for us. So, like, that's something to be – that's commendable, right? Like, we have a lot of injury-prone guys. Clark Schmidt stayed healthy. So, um, you know, a lot of people are like, let's go get Dylan Cease. Well, guys, if you look up Dylan Cease and Clark Schmidt, their numbers are pretty damn close to being identical. Like, and that's like, okay, yeah, like, both of those guys struggled last year. But, you know, people are saying they want to get Spencer Jones for Dylan Cease. He has one great year over his last four seasons. He pitches a hell of a lot of innings. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's coming off a down season and his stuff definitely took a took a kind of nosedive. So people are hoping he gets better. Why can't Clark Schmidt get better? You know, why can't he take a step forward in his second year as a starter? You know, Ryan, what did you see from his pitches that makes you think maybe Clark could end up becoming that mid-rotation guy that we really rely on? Yeah, so the big thing for me is his velocity. He's got to sustain that throughout the year, which again, as you alluded to, first year starting, right? Like he's getting stretched out figuring out how to be a little better with his consistency and, you know, maintaining velocity throughout a season, um, having the addition of the cutter, sharpening that pitch a little bit. The pitch for me here is a sweeper. The sweeper was his best pitch in 2022, and it was, like, it was a pitch he could rely upon, get a bunch of swings and misses, lefties, righties, didn't really matter. And then this year got hit hard. Uh, it was not a very good pitch for him. It was a negative run value pitch. That's a pretty steep drop-off when it goes from, hey, this is one of the best sliders in baseball to, this isn't a very good slider. Like, this slider has not performed to where it needs to. Um, you know, I think part of that is the, uh, the decrease in velocity and movement as the season went on. Um, I think part of it is just sequencing. Like, he's, he's adding a cutter. It's the same arm action. Maybe he's, you know, having trouble keeping the two pitches separate and not meshing the two at times. Um, I know Garrett Cole at times, in 2022 specifically, you know, he did not have a very good cutter that year. And it took a second year of utilizing it to find it, right? Maybe Clark Schmidt is in that situation. It is a field pitch um, where it's like, I don't want my slider to get worse trying to throw a cutter, um, but I need a cutter. That's kind of where Clark Schmidt's at. Um, and, and I think that he can get a better feel of those pitches, um, understand how to use them more, sequencing, things of that nature. He's got a sinker, he's got a curveball, got a sweeper, got a cutter. There's a lot of movement profiles there. There's nothing that, like, the, the, you would say that the, the thing he's lacking is like a changeup or an off-speed pitch. I just don't think he'll ever find one. It's really hard to just develop an off-speed pitch. Garrett Cole's talked about this. The feel of a, of a changeup, it is hard to get that pitch down. Um, I don't think Clark Schmidt's going to find that now. I don't think you know he's going to start throwing his changeup 20% of the time or anything like that. Uh, but I just think that we're going to see him... Um, refine the four pitches he now has in his arsenal, and who knows, like what he develops, what he adds, what he what he does over the offseason. We don't know what his offseason work looked like. We'll get a better look in spring training. Um, but again, if he just sits close to 93, 94 all year instead of just during the first part of the season, we'll get a much better version of him. I think he could be, you know, I, I think he could be a legitimate force in this rotation. And it's pretty telling that the Yankees are very involved, or not very involved, excuse me. The Yankees have been very confident uh, to have Schmidt in the rotation. They have not questioned whether he's a starter or not. They didn't see if they wanted to slide him back into the bullpen or not. I know there are conversations about the Yankees potentially adding multiple starters, and, and maybe that indicates a little bit of, you know, we'd like to get a little more starting pitching help. Um, but I think part of that is also because they know everybody's so injury prone, right? Like there are guys who are going to get hurt, and that's just the how the how the cards have broke how the cards have fallen for the Yankees over the years. I don't I don't know if Clark Schmidt's necessarily gonna be a stud. Like I'm not gonna sit here and I don't think we're sitting here and calling all three of these players they're gonna be all stars next year, but I, I think they don't have to be. I don't think Clark Schmidt has to win the Cy Young to be a successful pitcher. I feel like the bar of success is just hey, can he be a pretty solid one? Can he anchor the Yankees rotation? Can he give us 30 starts? Can he just be a reliable every fifth day kind of guy when, so that when guys get hurt and are shuffling in and out of the rotation, you know he's going to be there and you know he's going to make starts for you. Jameson Town in 2022 was kind of a, a version of this. He was very like kind of league average in ERA, but made a bunch of starts. 
I'm hoping Schmidt can be a little bit better than that in terms of the run prevention. But if I get 30 starts out of Clark Schmidt and if I get like a 3-9 ERA, again, he's not going to win Cy Young. He's not going to make the All-Star team. He's not going to get Cy Young votes, but he'll be a guy who made 30-plus starts in a sub-4 ERA. That's pretty damn good, and that's a pretty damn good outcome for him. So I think he's more than capable. I think last year he took a lot of strides in terms of innings pitch, and I'm very excited to see how that translates this year. But, you know, he'll be, I think he'll determine a lot about this rotation going into 2024. Not as much as Carlos Rodon, but enough where it's like, he does determine a little bit the floor and the ceiling of this rotation because of what he can become this year and because of the fact that he's their second most durable guy behind Garrett Cole. Absolutely. The durability does go a long way, and I think that we're going to see a better performance um, this upcoming season from Clark Schmidt. Uh, but is there anyone else on your mind that you think is worthwhile discussing in terms of breakout potential? You know, we do like Will Warren. We don't know how much opportunity he's going to get. Austin Wells is another guy that I could see having a really good season as a platoon option. Most are saying that Jose Trevino will start uh, the season as the primary catcher behind uh, the dish. And ultimately, I get it. He's our best defensive catcher, arguably the best defensive catcher in the game. And at the same time, uh, a lot of teams have gone in the direction of having more defense first guys. So, you know, looking at Jose Trevino's kind of foothold in this situation and Austin Wells is a part of the equation. You know, how do you think Austin Wells works his way in here? How do you think he gets more opportunity? Do you think this is a, pl a kind of a platoon scenario? Because we know that Austin Wells oddly is good against left-handed pitching. Um, you know, where do you see him making the most impact? Do you think he does have that breakout potential? We know that a lot of analysts, a lot of coaches, a lot of people in that organization believe he is much better defensively than they previously thought. Yeah, so a couple of variables here. Number one Trevino will absolutely start opening day. Like, opening day, there's not a shadow of a doubt Trevino will start because Garrett Cole's pitching, right? Like, I think everybody's kind of ignoring, like, when Wells does not play opening day, people will be very mad. Um, and, you know, it's because Garrett Cole's pitching. Like, when Garrett Cole's pitching, Jose Trevino's catching. You might go, what if Jose Trevino gets hurt? Then Ben Wartvet will remain on the team, and then he'll catch, right? Like, that's just how that's going to go. Um, but uh, in regards to his playing time, I'm sure they're going to get him reps. I think it'll be a, a like, Stroman and Cole are probably the two guys I would say on kind of like this is me guessing with Stroman but he's a sinker baller relies on called strikes I think Trevino's a better match for him Rodon loves throwing to Wells uh Schmidt is a younger guy I imagine he could throw to Wells and Cortez is another guy I imagine can throw to Wells as well so I would say those three guys against for Wells and then Stroman Cole for Trevino um catchers don't play a lot as catchers guys uh like for example Adley Rutschman played only 108 games as a catcher last year the only guy who had over 500 plate appearances as a catcher not saying catchers that play the just when they play the position when they're logged in at catcher the only guy to get over 500 plate appearances was JT Riamuto teams don't overrun their catchers so expect Wells to not play 150 games this year that's fine. Like, that's just how you manage catchers. That's a very, it's a very physically taxing position. You're, you're, you're really stressing your body. So they are going to, you know, be cautious and, and exercise rest and stuff of that nature. I wouldn't be too concerned there. Um, in, in terms of some other guys I want to talk about, you know, Will Warren's obviously a very interesting name. I love Will Warren. I think he'll have a big impact on this team if they need him. Um, but a guy I wanted to throw out there, and this is, again, I, we talked about this a little bit on the, before the podcast where it's like, I don't know if it's a breakout, but I think it'll be very good this year, and I think that he'll take a big step forward. And that's Glaber Torres. Uh, Glaber Torres did a lot of really good things last year. Um, cuts down the strikeout rate. Increase, you know, remains really power heavy. Like he still hit 25 home runs, which is the second most of his career. Very well rounded, balanced hitter. Not a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of chases. Great swing decisions, all that stuff. If you look at his pre All Star break and post All Star break numbers, they're night and day. Um, and then, of course, if you look at the uh, toe tap he added, uh, that made a big change for him. He's still kind of like an interesting player because 
if you ask me what his long-term outlook is with the Yankees, I would still lean towards, I don't think he's on the team after this year. And I don't know if that's necessarily because of him or because of, you know, the Yankees knowing they're going to probably want to bring back Juan Soto on a big contract and they have a lot of commitments there. Uh, but this is a walk year for Torres. He has something to prove. There is a chip on his shoulder. I don't think he's entering this year with this idea of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just have a chance to run it back with the Yankees next year. I think he knows that there's a chance, there's a very good chance he's not playing here next year. And, you know, whether that's fair or not, whether that's the right choice or not, whether that ends up being the case or not, we don't know, but everything points towards him not being here this year. And I think that's a very interesting storyline that will motivate him. I think he's putting up a 130 WRC plus and hitting 30 bombs this year. I, I think we're really going to see a very good version of Glaber Torres. I'm not sure if the defense is going to get much better. Uh, it was good in 2022, bad in 2023. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, Alex, I think this is going to be a guy who emerges as like, he's going to start in the all-star game kind of situation. I mean, that would be best case scenario. Look, Glaber Torres is one of our best, most consistent offensive pieces at this point in time. Once considered inconsistent, had a really solid, if not one of his best, if not his best year. Uh, I think he had a 14.6% strikeout rate, which dropped like 8% compared to 2022. So like you see the tangible results. You see that those numbers have improved. Um, simultaneously, like if he puts it together defensively, he had nine defensive runs saved at second base in 2022. If he eliminates some of the base running gaffes that we've seen, if he improves the you know overall uh, defensive efficiency and not making as many mistakes and he maintains his off his offense this is going to be one of the best second basemen in the game like the Yankees you know may have no choice but to extend him at that point like you know you're thinking do we just spend the extra 18 mil 19 mil on him uh per season because like he's a important piece to our our equation here the drop off from him to Oswald Peraza offensively is night and day um you know that's kind of where you look, and the Yankees have been trying to move Glaber Torres for years. Like they, he has been involved in so many talks uh, with Trey's. Not so much recently because he's heading into the final year of arbitration, and people wanted the control. Um, they're like, yeah, might as well just wait for him in free agency if he's going to go. So Yankees haven't really been including him lately. But you know, with that being said, um, it's it's evident that they have been. So I kind of feel as though right now Glaber Torres, we haven't seen the best of it. We've seen. The defense has been good or the offense has been good, but never simultaneously in, in cohesion. And if that comes together, if he does that, you're gonna, you can label him a breakout player, guys. But always happy to hear your thoughts below in the YouTube comments. Who do you think is going to break out in 2024? Make sure to like and subscribe as always, my friends. And we'll catch you guys on the next Fireside Yankees episode.